Good morning. I am amazed how cold it is outside, aren't you? Do you know it's 77 degrees right now? Do you know what would be happening if we were worshiping God two days ago? We would be physically dying at this very moment. And I am amazed how many people have shown up this Sunday wanting to enjoy this cool weather that we have. Now, having said that, do you think it's more than 77 in here? Yeah, probably. And it's probably going to get worse as we go along. So I promise you, I'll try to hold it to 30 minutes. I will not be like your esteemed pastor, Peter Hong, who is totally unable to ever end a sermon within 30 minutes, correct? Okay. Uh, My name is Dave Olson. I go to this church, but because of my job, I also travel quite a bit. So about a half to one-third of the time, I'm sitting right over in that area there. My wife, Shelly, is here today, but she is down in children's ministry. Uh, We have a youngest daughter who goes to North Park University that actually wants to come here often, but she's working this morning, so can't be here. Um, I work for our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, and I am leading a department that does church planting, evangelism, and what's called congregational vitality, which means we help established churches do well. So it's a fabulous job, sort of on the front end of what God is doing. I hope all of you know that that's how this church got going. Eleven years ago, Peter Hung and this conference, the Central Conference and our department, partnered together to launch New Community Covenant Church, and God has done some amazing things here. This morning, uh, if we can get the slide up there, I want to talk about the third rail There it is, the third rail. Now, do you all know what the third rail is? So if we were to head, I think it's this way where the L station is, right? To California, L station. When you go up, you're ready to get on the L, you'll notice there is a sign there. It says, do not touch the third rail. So for the L, there's a left rail and a right rail, correct? But what is the third rail? The third rail delivers the power. Now, I'd like to suggest to you, as this morning I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is in some sense the third rail of our life. There's God the Father and there's Jesus the Son, but there is a sense that Scripture tells us that if you want God's power at work in your life, anybody want God's power at work in your life? then we really need to understand the Holy Spirit and what it means to be in sync, in alignment with the Holy Spirit. And so here's sort of my thesis, what I want to accomplish in my sermon today. There are three gifts the Holy Spirit can give you to live the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, would any of you like to have those three gifts? Okay, well, I'm going to tell you what they are, and here they are. Spirit discernment, spirit deliverance, and spirit direction. Okay, I want want to hear you say those with me. Spirit discernment, spirit deliverance, and spirit direction. But here is the challenge we face, and that is why is it difficult to talk about the Holy Spirit? Do any of you find it challenging? I'm going to tell you what I think happens with most of us. For most of us, we either 
look at people who, want to, who are Christians who want to pretend the Holy Spirit doesn't exist and never want to talk about the Holy Spirit. Or there's other people that like go crazy on the Holy Spirit. Have you met either side of that equation? Okay. And, and I think there is a place in the middle, I'm going to suggest, that is very, very clear about what the Holy Spirit does and how the Holy Spirit is so incredibly important in your life without ignoring or, in a sense, going crazy about it. And I'm hoping that's what I can do with you this morning. But I have to confess to you, it's a complex situation. It's hard for people to understand the place of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so I'm going to try to give you a little understanding of that, and that's because I want to talk to you about the Trinity to begin with. And I want you to think for a minute with me, what is the role of God the Father? What is the role of Jesus the Son? And what is the role of the Holy Spirit? And as we understand those three, I think that's going to usher you into a greater understanding of what the Holy Spirit does. And then we're going to get ready to be able to talk about these three Spirit Ds that we're going to look at. So, here's the first one. The role of God the Father. In the Old Testament, God makes His presence known, but it is often veiled. The Father's work is often cloaked, hidden from sight. It is mysterious. What we do see when we look closely is the hand of God at work, expressed through what might be called providence or sovereignty. Now, let me give you an example of how I was wrestling with this recently. Um, I meet together with uh, a group regularly of 11 of our regional, uh, they're called superintendents, they're the leaders of our regional conferences, and two other people. And we met recently for three days, and every May, all we basically do for three days is read Scripture and pray. Sounds good? We didn't solve any problems. We really didn't talk about ministry issues. What did we do? We read Scripture, and we prayed. It's a good thing. So, one of our leaders was taking us through Genesis chapter 12 to 22. Now, I don't have the opportunity this morning, and the heat will not allow us to spend much time talking about Genesis 12 to 22. But if you ever get a chance to read this, it's really fascinating. This is the story of Abraham in the Old Testament, and Abraham first encountering God the Father. Now, I want you to think about this. How did Abraham encounter God the Father? Well, it's, it's a hard question. There's some good answers kind of out there, but it's a hard question because God the Father is not physically seeable, correct? So there are other ways God connects with people. And when you read through that, you get a really interesting juxtaposition because you have God making himself real in some ways, almost having some manifestations going on there. But also, there's a sense when you read the writer that God is speaking directly to Abraham. So, for example, in chapter 18, it talks about three men came to Abraham and they were talking about what was going to happen to this city called Gomorrah. Now, there is some sense people think the three men were the Trinity who happened to show up there. 
but whoever those three men happened to be, there was some sense in the middle of the conversation that Abraham realized he wasn't just talking to people, he was talking to God Almighty, and there was a conversation going on. So in some sense, the Holy Spirit was there. Another example is Genesis chapter 22. And in Genesis chapter 22, it's the very poignant story of how Abraham is supposed to take his firstborn son, his only son from Sarah, and go up Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son. And so they're on this journey on the way up there. And as they get to the top, just before that, Isaac asks this poignant question. He says, so father, I see we have the wood and we have the fire. Where is the sacrifice? And do you remember what Abraham says? God will provide. Probably not the exact answer Isaac was hoping for. And so Isaac is up there on the altar. I'm imagining he's squirming. He's going crazy. He's trying to figure out how do we get out of this. But God does provide because all of a sudden Abraham sees a ram in the thicket and that ram then becomes the sacrifice that goes on the altar in the place of Isaac. And that becomes a picture of the Trinity because it becomes a picture of Jesus in a sense being the sacrificial ram who is placed on the altar in place of us. So you see how that works in the Old Testament, God the Father is there, but it's a very hidden and kind of mysterious sort of way. What happens in the coming of Jesus is something that is a tremendous relief to us. God takes on human flesh. The unveiling of God happened in the coming of Jesus. The role of Jesus the Son is to reveal God in human flesh and live out the mighty salvation actions of God. The Gospel of John says, if you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. So, in the Old Testament, it was a challenging thing to follow God. In the New Testament, God does his amazing action, which is taking human flesh. And so, go to the next slide. The revealing of God the Son is best revealed by the titles used to describe Jesus. So, He is our Savior. He's the one who saves us from our sin. He's the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of everything the people of God was expecting that God was going to do. He's the Son of Man. He's somebody who can connect with us very clearly and help us understand and relate to Him. But He is also the Son of God. And He is also this title called Lord. And then there's some primary actions of Jesus. It was His life. It's what happened in the cross, what happened in the grave, what happened in the resurrection, and what happened in the ascension. So whenever people hear the story of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, something deep within a person draws them to embrace that story. How thankful are you for Jesus? I remember I was sitting right out there two months ago, and I think some of you were probably at this service. Peter was preaching on Romans chapter 6. Do some of you remember this? It was an amazing sermon. It was one of the best sermons I've ever heard in my life. And he was talking about 
how important it is for us to understand that when Jesus died and rose again, we have died and rose again with Jesus. And we do not have to live in that old life anymore, but we have a new life we can live in Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. That's this person that we follow, Jesus, why it is so incredibly important. So we say, amen, thank you, Jesus. Go ahead, you can say it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. However, guess what? Jesus left. But now Jesus is not physically with us, and the third member of the Trinity becomes our companion. So I want you to get this flow. God the Father, who is providence, sovereignty behind the scenes. We don't have a lot of personal connection. Jesus, the Son, who gives the physical picture of what God is and does these things that allow us to be able to live this new life in Christ. But the third member of the Trinity, in a sense, is critical for us today because this is how God is with us today. He becomes God with us. This produces two advantages over what we had with Jesus. The first advantage is that Jesus could only be in one physical place. The Spirit can be everywhere. Now, how many of you wish that you could have been physically where Jesus was when he lived? Any of you? Would that not that be amazing? Here's the problem. How many people live in this world right now? Seven billion. Do you know how hard it would have been to hear and get a good sight line if you were one of those seven billion trying to see the physical Jesus? There's something profound about the fact that God's plan is to recognize that the Spirit can do the work of Jesus in our life to all seven billion people, not just those 5,000 or how many who could crowd around and see the actual physical Jesus. The second one is as opposed to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and becomes the active presence of God in your life. Jesus was a physical being, the Spirit, and it's sometimes described as the Spirit of Jesus can come into your life and live a new life. Now, I wanted to tell you about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why? Because I have to have you understand how important the Holy Spirit is to understand these three things, spirit discernment, spiritual spirit deliverance, and spirit uh, direction. So I want to start with spirit discernment, and I want you to think for, with me for a minute of the scriptural teaching on the Holy Spirit. And I want to suggest to you there's three passages that are the most powerful and profound in all of Scripture, and guess which passages we're going to look at this morning? those three. So, they are John chapter 16, and that is where Jesus talks about that I'm going to send the advocate that's going to take my place. The second one is Romans chapter 8. So, when Peter was talking about Romans chapter 6, which was talking about Christ, if you keep going, the pinnacle, I think, of Romans is Romans 8, and it's where he starts talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then the third one in the book of Acts, we're going to talk about Acts chapter 16. And this is a defining moment with Paul about how the Holy Spirit helped him understand what direction he was supposed to go. 
So, we're going to start with spirit discernment. And here's the uh, scripture for you. But very truly I tell you, and this is John 16, 7 to 10. Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. Do you like that word, advocate? But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can no longer where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So if you go to the next slide. Now, I want to talk about how difficult spiritual discernment is and why this is important for you. And I want to especially address 18 to 35-year-olds, okay? Anybody here 18 to 35-year-old? Okay, a few of us are older than this, and we're going to pretend we're 35 and a half. But in this age group, this is the only world you have really known, and I'm going to try to describe it. And I was in college like a philosophy major, so I have to kind of explain it to you in the way people think about how they describe certain things. And so I've used a little word here that does not actually exist. Sola materia, materiala, okay? Now, there is something in the Reformers in the beginning of the Protestant movement that was sola scriptura, okay? Do you know what that means? Only scripture. So we don't look to anywhere else to figure out God's revelation to us. We look to sola scriptura. What do you think sola materiala means? The only thing that's real in this world is are things that are material. That is the worldview that we live in, and it's much more pronounced today than 30 or 40 years ago. Did you know that? That's what scientists tell us. Everything that's real is physical, and if it's not physical, you're just making it up, and you can make up whatever you want, but it's not actually real. So... I'm going to do a quote here from the famous French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre. If there is no God, he said in his famous paraphrase of Dostoevsky's Ivan Karamazov, everything is permitted. Do you know any people who would like that everything is permitted? That's what happens when you have sola materiala. Another recent writer wrote, the old gods failed and the old truths left the world Clear conclusions were mainly delusional, a luxury of religious fanatics and fools. So if you actually have any moral thoughts, you are what? You're a fanatic or a fool. You can take your pick, whichever one you like best. Now, I think, and you can be the judge of this, I can convince you pretty quickly that not only is materialism not the only thing in this world, but I think I can convince you that non-material things are actually much more important to you than material things. So I'm going to suggest on the next page, these four things are non-material. They do not have any 
physicality to them, and I want us to think about them for a minute. Beauty, goodness, truth, and love. Okay? Now, how many of you have ever experienced beauty in your life? How many of you like love beauty? I see some people smiling. We're sort of designed by God to love beauty. Where does beauty come from? Who created beauty? It's actually not in physical particles. There's something else going on there in this world that there is an entity. Christians would say it's God who created this entity called beauty. But is it a material thing? No, it's very different than that. How about goodness? Let me tell you what I mean by goodness. Goodness means there's some things better than other things. There's some things that are helpful, life-giving, redemptive. There's other things that are destructive in life. There's a continuum of good and evil. All right? Now, how many of you have some sense that there are things that are better than others? Right? Don't we all? Everybody does. Yet, where does that come from? It has nothing to do with materialism. How about truth? Truth means there are certain things that are right and certain things that are wrong, and it's always the way it is. Now, a person that believes sola materiali, they would say to you, I just don't think there's such a thing as absolute truth. Okay? So if I stole their car, would they say there was such a thing as absolute truth? Like the truth that I should not steal their car. Right? So in the vague, it works really well, but in the specific, it really doesn't work for anybody. And the last one is love. How is love a part of particles? Does this make sense? The things we value most in life are not material things. There's something beyond that. So when people ask me, how can I believe in a non-physical God? I go, well, of course, all the best things in life are non-physical. Now, I have a very simple sentence I say often. I am not convinced any of you will understand this, but I'm going to try it on you. What is, is. In other words, pretending that something isn't does not take away its reality. Everything that happens in this world has a real reality. It is. So every action, every word, every thought, every motivation, every intent that you have as a person, it's a reality. And the interesting thing about it is that God knows and sees and hears all of those things. Now, I want you to go back to the Scripture, John 16, 8-10. When He comes, He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Those three things. About sin because people do not believe in Me. About righteousness. Well, let me go on here. Let me go to the next one. Here we go. This is about sin. Sin means sin is anything that destroys God's good creation. Sin never gives life. The kingdom of this world does not want you to know about sin or the wages of sin, the destructive cost or payback of sin. 
The world wants you to believe there is no such thing as sin and certainly not a penalty for sin. Okay? Now here's where I'm trying to go with this. As a Christian, you have to have discernment because in this world today, all of the messages are telling us there is no such thing as sin. Correct? And Jesus is very clear that when the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to convict you regarding sin is number one. Here's number two, righteousness. The kingdom of this world does not want you to know there is a right as well as a wrong. Right now, Jesus sits at the right hand of God and He sees every act of love and faithfulness and purity. So God not only sees every sin, but God also sees everything coming from you that would be a description of what righteousness is all about. And the third one is judgment. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of this world does not want you to know there will come a judgment day. But one day, one day, God promises to bring justice to right all evil and repay all evildoers. God promises to bring about justice in this world. We need spirit discernment to see through the false promises of this world. Now, let me give you an example of this one. I know that your church is pretty passionate about doing specific things to help destroy sex slavery that happens throughout the world. Is that right? This is a big deal in your church. We have a number of covenant churches that are doing this. There is one covenant church I can think of in particular that is probably one of the leading churches in the nation in leading the way to make incredible progress on this very difficult thing. Now, let's assume most of the people that engage in sex slavery are men for a minute, okay? Do you think there's any reason to think that those men, there should be no penalty in this life or the life to come for what they did? Can you think of a more horrible thing to do? Can you think it's just fine that they can do horrible things to young women and there's no penalty for it? Can you imagine that? See, that's what Jesus is talking about. He has come to give us discernment to be able to be clear thinking and tell this world this is right and this is wrong. And actually, deep down, the world understands this. Every day in your life, you are confronted with decisions that you have to have discernment on. You have to have spirit discernment. The Holy Spirit helps you see the world and everything in it for what it is. Christians need to understand the false promises of this kingdom of this world. The Holy Spirit helps you to see the work of God for what it is. Christians need to understand the true promises of the kingdom of God. Spirit discernment gives you wisdom to name the false promises and to understand and the understanding to name the true realities. Do you understand how important this is in the world we live in? To be able to name the things in the kingdom of this world that destroy people and the things in the kingdom of God that give life and stand up for that. That's what spiritual discernment is about. How many of you do you think needs the Spirit's help in this area of discernment? 
It's really important in this world we live in. Okay, I want to talk about one that is even more personal than this, and it's spirit deliverance. And this is uh, Romans chapter 8. Again, Romans is like one of the most important books of the New Testament, and chapter 8 is the summit, I think, of the whole book. But you got to start with verses 24 and 25 before you get to verses 1 and 2 of chapter 8. Verses 24 and 25 of Romans. And it says this, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So, next slide. Chapter 8 is the true summit of the book of Romans. Romans 8 tells us to not live a life controlled by the flesh, but instead to live a life controlled by the Spirit. Now, when Paul is talking about the word flesh, what does he mean here? He doesn't mean flesh as in body. But flesh is kind of this thing that goes with the physical nature of our bodies and our beings that is always twisting away from what God wants us to be. So, I'm going to give you the list of seven examples of acts of the flesh. And I want you to figure out how many of these are you prone to. Okay? So they are lust, oh, selfish ambition, lust, greed, jealousy, improper power, gossip, or pride. Okay, we're going to do a little show of hands here. How many of you have no problems with any of these? Okay, now it could be you don't have all of them, so we're going to have to go through the numbers. How about one, two, three of them, four of them, five of them, six of them? I'm not going to ask the seven question. I'm not going to have you raise your hand for those right there, <laughs> the seven of them. Now, this is the, you know, part of me in my brain thinks it's, fascinating, but part of me in my spirit goes, this is the sadness of the Christian life. It's fascinating that we can be a Christian and we still have our struggles with all these things. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just automatically, they would disappear from our life. But Paul says the key of living the Christian life is to find deliverance. Can you hear that? Can you say that word for me? Deliverance. Deliverance in the Spirit of God so that no longer you live in the flesh. So Romans 8 tells us not to live a new life controlled by the flesh, but a new life controlled by the Spirit. And this middle part is what I want you to hear in this one. This is the race, the trial, the battle we are in every day of our life from conversion to death. Did you know this? It does not automatically disappear. You do not get better at this. You wake up every morning, and this is the race, the trial, and the battle. But Romans 8 talks to us about the fact that when we live your life, when you live your life by the Spirit, when you let the Spirit control your life, all of a sudden, you can be delivered from things that hold you in bondage. 
He delivers me. It's a very personal, a very daily experience. We pray for deliverance for ourselves as we let the Spirit control our lives. Now, I want to give you one tip, and then I'm going to move on from this. So, how many of you have tried this and it doesn't always work? Okay, everybody ought to be raising your hands right now, because it doesn't always work, and the key for it to work better is to have accountability relationships where you tell the truth about your life to a trusting friend who is your confessor and your encourager. Does that make sense? Now, in Christianity right now, there's something that's called spiritual direction. And spiritual direction is, and I'll give you an example. I have a spiritual director. I used to live up in Minneapolis, and he lives in Minneapolis, so it's a little more complex for me right now with him. But I used to meet with him about every six weeks. And the reason why is because he is a barber, and he cuts my hair. His name is Dave. So whenever my hair gets long, I not only go in for a haircut, but I go in for spiritual direction, okay? Now, Dave has been trained in spiritual direction. My wife has been trained in spiritual direction. And it really is the, the, the skill of asking questions to allow a person to verbalize what's happened in their life and through that verbalizing to often find the solutions and to be able to speak clearly to what's happening in your life. So when Dave and I get together, we have an agreement that we are ruthlessly honest about ourselves. And we talk about those seven things, and we tell each other what we've been struggling with and are specific about it. We pray for each other. But whenever sin is hidden, sin has power. Did you know that? Whenever sin is hidden, that is the power of sin. Whenever the light of God shines on sin, the power gets reduced fivefold, tenfold, a hundredfold. So if you want to be delivered, you really have to find someone who can be that person that you can tell the truth to, a trusted person. Were any of you at the first service in the new year here at New Community? Do you remember this? It's a people come up front and say what God has done in their life through a new community. For those of you who hadn't been here, it was an amazing service, was it not? It was an amazing service. And it was amazing because this was group spiritual direction that was going on here. Is people came up and told the unvarnished truth about what has happened in their life and how God has delivered them not minimizing either side, recognizing the sin, but recognizing the grace. And that's what a church body is supposed to be. That's what's supposed to happen in our life. But I can tell you, if you have nobody that you can have those conversations with, if you have nobody you can be that honest with, it's never going to work very well. Because when you tell the truth of what's going on in your life to someone else, the power of sin gets diminished. So, do any of you here need help in the area of spirit deliverance? Okay, now you're all allowed to raise your hand right now, all of us together. Because every day of our lives from conversion to death, this is the struggle we have, right? 
We're in it together. Okay, here's the last one. Spirit direction. And the scripture here is Acts 16. When they came to the border of Mysia, and this was Paul and his companions, by the way, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, I want you to think about what is going on here. This happens between Greece and Turkey, and they wanted to go to Turkey, and God said, instead, go where? Go to Greece, okay? Now, you know, Greece is having some problems nowadays, right? You know, really tough country to live in. Their whole economy is a disaster. But there's a reason way back 2,000 years ago, Paul, I think the Spirit of God said, go west. And do you know why that was? In my opinion, what direction was the head of the Roman Empire, east or west? It was west. It was Rome. So why do you think it was important for Paul to go west? Because Paul was to speak truth to power. Does that make sense? To go east was to go away from power. To go west was to go toward power. And so where did Paul end up, by the way, in chains? In Rome. He didn't expect to get there in chains. But God brings him to the place of power, telling the good news of Jesus in the very middle of the oppressive, evil kingdom of the Roman Empire. Okay? And so, this is an example in Scripture of spirit direction. You can find it all the way through Scripture. You get direction from a lot of different things. You get it from the Spirit speaking to your spirit. You get it from wise counsel of people. In this case, he got it from a dream. You're always looking and trying to figure out, what is the Spirit direction for me? Is that important to any of you? This is such a young church here. It's got to be so important to most of you here because this is the big question of life. What am I supposed to do with my life? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to major in in college? All of that. So, the next slide is the result of spirit direction is power and fruitfulness in our life and our ministry to God. This is why the disciples were told, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit came on Christ's disciples and transformed them from powerless to powerful and from unfruitful to fruitful. And a part of that sequence is to figure out the Spirit's direction for you. As we seek Spirit direction, we ask these questions. God, what are you up to today? What is my role? Give me spiritual eyes to discern your movement so I can align my life. So let me just give you a couple stories in my life that can help you maybe understand 
how this works out. Um, my wife and I and our director of evangelism and his spouse and our director of congregational vitality and his spouse, we were invited to Norway and Sweden last month. And that's why I missed the hot summer Sunday morning services here the last couple of weeks. And um, in Sweden, I was there about a year and a half ago, and my wife has a third cousin whose name is Jacob, or Jacob is how you say it over there. And we were invited to this church in Gothenburg, and he happened to live in Gothenburg. And when we had lived in California many years ago, two different times he had come over to visit to America and had come to our house, played with our kids. We had a great time together with Jacob. So he emails me, I email him, I tell him I'm going to be in town. He emails me back, how can we meet? We decide on Saturday night when I was there, at 5.30 he would show up, okay? So I'm up front in front of this church. I'm finishing up the seminar I was talking about, and I did not even notice he came in because I was busy finishing up the seminar. But what happens is he comes in, and we had a fourth person with us uh, a year and a half ago, and his name is Frederick Wall. Now, Frederick Wall is Swedish and came to the United States to go to North Park University and actually works in our department, still lives here. We brought Frederick along because he's Swedish. So Frederick and this guy, Jacob, look at each other, and they go instantly, I know this person, but I don't know who it is. Have you ever had that experience? I've met this person in my past. I cannot place who this person is. So here's how it all turns out. So I eventually am done. I see him back there. We get together. <coughs> we go over to this restaurant. It's very sad in Gothenburg, Sweden, and much of Scandinavia. The most popular restaurants are pizza places. Can you believe have we destroyed the culture of Europe that way? So we go to this pizza place across the street. And do you know what's happening in Jacob's life? He's losing his faith. He has all these doubts about God and Scripture. And so we pull out our iPhones, and I tell them, you need to get on your iPhone this thing called Uversion, this app. So he loads Uversion. Anyone know what Uversion is? It's a Bible app. Do you know what kind of church created the Uversion? Just so you know, it's a covenant church. It's actually the largest covenant church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. It's an incredible uh, version. It's so helpful in our lives. But anyhow, I got it so that we could look at Scripture together because he had all these questions. So he's asking me questions from Deuteronomy and why did God have them do this? And, you know, I'm just going, man, this is not easy figuring out the answers to his question. Well, the reason I knew he was losing his faith is that he comes, I go back to the service afterwards and say goodbye to Jacob, and Frederick tells me that when they were both 19, they went with, to this Christian one-year kind of Bible school, art school together. And while I was gone with him at the pizza place, Frederick remembered who he was. And he said Jacob was one of the most 
fired up Christians he knew back then, and now, 20 years later, I'm sitting with Jacob and he's losing his faith. Okay? Now, what do I need? What do I need at that moment, people? Spirit discernment. I already got spirit direction. We're at the pizza place together. God directed, God directed Jacob to come. He had Frederick there so I would know the context. And we're over there talking about this stuff. Now, just last month, Shelly comes with me, and Shelly wasn't there the time before, and we got invited. Well, here we go again. This again is spiritual spirit direction, okay? So there's the guy who's pastor of this church. He has a love in life. Now, this is Sweden. Do you understand this? His love in life is black gospel music. Now, think about this for a minute. Sweden, black gospel music. Do you know black gospel music is incredibly popular in Sweden? They absolutely love it. So guess who this guy, Hokan Firmagard, the pastor, is good friends with? Dr. Meeks, the pastor of Salem Baptist Church, the largest church in Chicago. You got this? This Swedish guy is good friends with Dr. Meeks. And they actually exchange gospel choirs. So I was at a meeting at the Covenant offices about five miles from here in the first floor. I'm not normally in meetings there. I get out, come in the lobby, and who is there? Hokan Firmagard is there. Okay? What would he be doing there? Well, he's coming to hang out with Dr. Meeks. But he asks, I tell him, I'm going to Norway in a couple of months. And what does he say? Well, why don't you come and preach at our church before you have to go to Norway? And guess what happened? We worked it out. Guess who we were able to see because of that? Jacob and his parents. And the relationship is stronger and we're going to have more communication. Do you know what Jacob said to me at the end of the pizza time the first time? He said, Dave, I hope all these doubts I have won't cause you to not want to connect with me anymore. Isn't that interesting? Is the Spirit of God at work in this place? And that's how it all works together. There's Spirit discernment. What is God up to here? There's spirit deliverance. How can I live a life controlled by the spirit instead of by the flesh? And there's spirit direction. God, direct me to who I'm supposed to connect with, to what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to do it. Give me clarity on those things in life. So, is anybody here in need of spirit direction. Anybody? Okay. I think a lot of us are. Now, I'm going to tell you a real quick process, and then I'm going to end with prayer. To me, this process of life in the Spirit, there are six sequential steps, and there's these. The first thing you have to do is you have to start by yielding. You have to say, I am yours, Lord. Whatever you want me to do, 
I am yours. And then the second thing is we need to pray. We need to request what's on our heart. God, I need discernment in this particular area. I need deliverance in this particular area. I need direction in this particular area. And then we want to do the next two. We want to listen and watch or watch and listen. In other words, God may speak to our spirit, but often God will do something physically and bring somebody or something into our life that's going to help us to understand what is going on and what's supposed to be happening there. And once we've yielded and prayed and watched and listened, what do you think we're supposed to do? We're supposed to act on it. We're supposed to get off our rear end and act on what God through His Spirit is calling us to do. And then when we act on it, we believe that it's not our own human strength, but it is God who is at work. So is it my responsibility to sort of reconvert Jacob? No. But is it my responsibility to listen carefully to the Spirit of God and hear from God how I am supposed to keep in close connection with Him to help Him come back to God? That's what it's for. And I have to believe in my heart that God is going to do that with Jacob and all the other people in my life that God is trying to have me be connected with and work in those life, in their life. So I want to end the service kind of simply, but you know, when I lived in Minneapolis, our family lived in Minneapolis, we went to Sanctuary Covenant Church, and like this one, it's a multi-ethnic church, but it had an African-American pastor, a good friend of Peter and mine, Ephraim Smith, who's now a superintendent on the West Coast for the Covenant. And one of the things I learned at that church, at Sanctuary Covenant Church, is you have to end every service with an altar call. Do you know that? Now, it's not a requirement like you have to or you get in trouble, but sometimes we physically need to respond to God to let ourselves say to God, I heard you today, God. You're speaking to me. I have to grow in spirit discernment. Or maybe there's a troubling area that you need to get that discernment in. There are those of you today who are going, God, I've got to get delivered from this particular thing. And you've got to pray about it, but you also got to find a friend to talk about it with. 